Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Friends, I'm excited this morning. Let me tell you why. Because today we have an opportunity to begin a new book study, a new sermon series together. If you were with us through our Gospel of Luke sermon series, which most of you, if not all of you were, I know that you remember it, and hopefully not just because we did it over a period of three and a half years, but I hope that you remember it because we had an opportunity as a church family to center in on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. As we went through the Gospel of Luke study, we had an opportunity to see Jesus' compassion for humanity. We had an opportunity to see Jesus' signs and wonders that he performed to demonstrate who he is. We had an opportunity to hear of the wonderful and inspiring hope that we as Christ followers will have in the future, as well as the hope that we have even right now. We had an opportunity to consider Jesus' teachings, all of them, as we went through the entirety of the Gospel of Luke. And yes, we even got to sit there and listen and let speak to us the hard teachings of Jesus. And our study of the Gospel of Luke, of course, culminated in us witnessing the atoning death that he paid for us on the cross, and we got to see his glorious resurrection from the dead. And so that was an exciting series. I know it was for me. I hope it was for you as well. As we are moving into the book of Acts, I assure you that this was not an arbitrary decision. I assure you that this wasn't just a compulsory decision. We did the Gospel of Luke, and so, you know, Acts is the sequel, right? It's part two. It's Luke's second work as he's writing to Theophilus. And so, of course, we're going to do it. No, I decided to do this. And I do believe that the Lord has been leading us in this direction. But let me tell you two reasons why. The first is this, that when we look at the Gospel of Luke, and perhaps all the Gospels, we tend to think of them in terms of what Jesus did while he was on the earth. And then we look at Acts, and we tend to think this is what the church did. But the truth of the matter is, as we'll see in just a little bit, that all of it is the work of Christ. And so as we consider what we're going to be reading through in the book of Acts, we need to understand it rightly that it is the continuing work of Jesus Christ. And so it is just as important to us as we look back on what Jesus has done in history, not just on what he did in his earthly ministry prior to his death, resurrection, and ascension, but then also as he continued and built the church through his people. So that's the first reason. The second reason that I believe it's important for us as the people of God, as the church, to read and study and really dig into the book of Acts together is this, that I believe that there are many similarities between the context that the earliest Christians found themselves in and us today. Now I want to explain this a little bit here. Now the first Christians... We're all Jews. And you might think that, well, because they were all Jews, they were living in Israel and everything was hunky-dory. But as we're going to see in the book of Acts, that's not the case. 
So while they had come up as Jews among their fellow Jews in Israel, as soon as these earliest Christians put their faith and trust in Jesus, they became largely marginalized, even persecuted from their own people, the Jews. In fact, we're going to see this as persecution breaks out against the church because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just the Jews or the Jewish religious leaders that persecuted the earliest Christians, but certainly it started there. And as they spread out throughout the Roman Empire, fearing for their lives, guess what? They took the gospel with them to those various areas. And what we find, though, is that as they live now among the Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire, they were very distinct from the people groups that they settled among. And so they quickly drew the attention of their neighbors as they were not willing to participate in the community events, the uh, festivals and the celebrations of the pagan gods. And so the peoples that they lived around didn't like the Christians very much for fear that the Christians would invoke the wrath of their various gods against the city. And so Christians were persecuted largely by the people that they lived around. And it didn't take long even for the Roman Empire to turn against the Christians as well. And so as we even see in the pages of uh, Acts, and as we know through history, even in the, the, the centuries to follow, there was persecution even at the level of the emperor of Rome and the various rulers that ruled under him. And so what we see as we look back at the early church was this, a marginalized people, a people who did live as exiles and foreigners in the various lands in which they lived, a people that had an uphill battle as they proclaimed the gospel to a largely hostile environment. And yet they were highly effective in the ministry of the gospel, highly effective in allowing Jesus to work through them to build his kingdom. Friends, I know that many of us in this room today remember a time, and it doesn't even seem like too long ago, when Christianity was an accepted worldview here in our country, when in fact it was noble to be a Christian. In fact, most of the people that you knew were either Christian or at least held to a lot of the same values that you do as a Christian. And so there wasn't a lot of challenge, there wasn't a lot of cost, there wasn't a lot on the line being a Christian. But if you've been paying attention at all to the culture around us, that's largely changed now. And so being a Christian puts us at risk. Being a Christian makes us marginalized. Being a Christian puts us at odds with the culture. And in fact, many look on Christians and the church and Christ as antithetical to their purposes and the things that they hope to accomplish in our society. And yet we still have the calling, just as the earliest church, to take the gospel to the lost. And we do it now in an ever-increasingly hostile world. And yet, if the earliest church, who faced more persecution than we ever have, was able to be effective for Christ in building his kingdom, then certainly we can too. And so my hope for us as we journey through the book of Acts is that we recognize not just our calling, but that God has and God will continue to build his kingdom through his church. So let's begin. Today is going to be an introduction, if you will, to the book of Acts. We're going to take the first three verses. Allow me to read them to you. 
This is Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Luke writes, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So let's begin here. Paul, I'm sorry, Luke, again, is writing to this person by the name of Theophilus. We don't know a whole lot about Theophilus. But one thing that we do know is why Luke was writing to him. We know why Luke was writing to him in the Gospel of Luke, and we know why Luke continued in the book of Acts to write to him. And so I think we're going to look at Luke's words, let him explain for himself why he was writing to Theophilus. So let's venture back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and read the opening verses there. Here's what it says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught." So why was Luke writing to Theophilus, at least in the Gospel of Luke? He was writing so that Theophilus might know the certainty of the things that he has been taught. Why is it important that Theophilus knows the certainty of the things that he has been taught? Well, if you remember what I just said, and you'll understand this even more clearly as we go through Acts, the church faced intense persecution on all sides. There was something at stake. There was a cost. There was risk involved to stand up for Jesus in your culture, to proclaim the gospel in a largely hostile world. And if Christianity might be true, then it was not worth the risk. If there was even perhaps a high, a high probability that Christianity was true, it still might not be worth the risk. If Christianity was more plausible than some other worldviews, it still may not be worth the risk. But if Christianity is certainly true, then it is worth giving our all. And so Luke, as he writes to Theophilus, it doesn't just reiterate the things that he's been taught, but demonstrates through his gospel, and as we'll see through the book of Acts as well, the certainty of Christianity, the certainty of the gospel, the certainty of the things that have been taught to him. And we see that this is the same reason why he's writing the book of Acts. We see this in Acts chapter 1 verse 3. He says, after his suffering, his being Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So again, he may not use the word here that he's writing Acts now so that they, he may know the certainty of the things he's been taught, but that's exactly what's going on here because we see that the things that he has been taught are highly evidenced. He starts out, verse 3, by saying, after his suffering, 
by which he's implying after Jesus's death, he presented himself to them alive. And so this man, Jesus, the son of God, not only died, but he certainly came back to life. How do we know this? He goes on, he says, he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, if you remember from our Gospel of Luke study, the disciples didn't quickly believe the resurrection. The women came back and told what had happened, and they thought that the ladies were crazy. And then it took Jesus appearing multiple times. It took Thomas being able to touch his wounds. It took Jesus eating before them. All these things to demonstrate that it was in fact true, that they could allow themselves to believe this happy news that Jesus had been risen. Why was it difficult for them to believe? Well, for the same reason it would be difficult for us to believe today that somebody rose from the dead. In our lived experience, dead people tend to stay dead. And so Jesus demonstrated by many convincing proofs, after he had died and rose again, he demonstrated that he was alive. The evidence was overwhelming. It says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. This was not a one and done. This was not a, you know, here's Jesus, and then you scratch your head. Was it really? Over a period of 40 days, he lived with them. He ate with them. He taught them about the kingdom of God. There was certainty for the earliest followers and certainty for Theophilus as he reads the evidence. And you know what? We, too, can know the certainty of the things we have been taught. Let me just say this. Only a fool would be a Christian if Christianity weren't true. So if Christianity were not true, you'd have to be a fool to be a Christian. Think about it. If Christianity were false, we would still be separated from God. If Christianity were false, we would have no transcendent help for today. What do I mean by that? I don't know about you, but I know that it seems like I'm living in pretty tough times. We all are, aren't we? This is a crazy, crazy times that we're living in as a country, as a world, and on so many different levels that we don't even want to think about it anymore. But guess what? Can you imagine trying to endure without knowing that God was bringing all things together for the good of those who love him? That God is there to hear your prayers? That God does provide comfort and peace and strength and ways to overcome? Well, guess what? If Christianity were false, we would have no transcendent help for today. We would have no hope for life after death. And so if this is bad enough, we'd have nothing to look forward to on the other end. Funerals would certainly be much more uh, occasions to grieve than they are even now because we wouldn't just be grieving our loss but theirs. Death is not the end, because Christianity is true. If Christianity were false, there would be no hope for life after death. If Christianity were false, we would be false witnesses about God, speaking, er speaking wrong things about him, and leading others into error. We would have set ourselves against this culture without cause. There'd be no reason for it. We would have lived by moral boundaries that we believed helped us, but instead would ultimately be deemed unnecessary. And all of this and more if Christianity were false. Only a fool would be a Christian if Christianity were not true. So how do we know Christianity is true? Luke had answers to this question. And so this is what we see from his writing here. That Jesus was a real historical person. And numerous people who Luke knew personally had known him. 
being historically close to the life of Jesus, the events of the gospel and the key followers of the Lord, Luke investigated everything from start to finish. This is what he says in his opening verses of Luke. He learned from multiple people the same amazing fact that after his death, Jesus was alive again and appeared to many people. This wasn't some, hey, look over there, that guy looks like Jesus. No, Jesus was with them, demonstrating the truth of his resurrection through many convincing proofs and continuing his ministry of teaching his followers about the kingdom of God. For Luke, the historical evidence was conclusive. And so he can relay the information to Theophilus and to us by extension so that we can know the certainty of the things that we've been taught. So why does it matter? As I alluded to earlier, the truth of Christianity matters for our own personal belief. If Christianity is false, we shouldn't believe it. However, if it's true, we had better believe it. But there's another reason why it matters. Whoever Theophilus was, he was a Christian in a time when the world was not very friendly to Christians. He was a part of the church who had been commissioned to make disciples of all nations in the face of intense persecution. Being a Christian meant risking everything, and he had better be certain that it is true. Friends, we live in a time in history that is becoming more and more culturally unacceptable to be a Christian. The gospel itself is highly offensive to our culture. It may be offensive in different ways from what uh, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and them ministered, but it is just as offensive to our culture today. Here's just some of the sentiments that you might have heard. How dare you call someone a sinner? Who are you to judge how someone else lives their life? Have you heard this? If you haven't heard this, you're not preaching the gospel. How dare you claim that your way is the only way? You Christians are so intolerant. I hear that several times a month. All religion is a source of moral evil, and Christianity is the worst. These are just some of the sentiments of our culture. Friends, in the face of these sentiments and the attitudes of those in our culture, we are called still to be Jesus' witnesses. We are called to make disciples. In the face of ridicule or all-out persecution, we must be faithful to that calling that God has for us in Christ. Let's face it. That's hard to do if you're not certain of the truth of Christianity. But if we know that it's true, and we operate under these factors that we read about in Scripture. Here are, here's just a few. God really did love us enough to send his son. Jesus himself was willing to endure more than ridicule, more than persecution, to reconcile us to God. Jesus really is with us as we go until the very end of the age, as he says in Matthew 28. We really do have the Holy Spirit empowering us to do what we have been called to do. And even if we die for the sake of the gospel, we will live forever in paradise with our Lord. That kind of puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? We can have certainty, and that certainty matters as we live for Christ. As we begin our study of Acts, there's another very important point of context that we need to understand, and I alluded to it earlier. Let me read this, the first verse and a half from our text in Acts today. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach 
until the day he was taken up to heaven. Now that's some interesting wording right there. Luke did not write, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up to heaven. That's not what the text says. Instead, he worded it this way. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, the work and the teaching of Jesus did not end at his ascension. The gospel of Luke did not encompass everything that Jesus did and taught. Rather, it was only the beginning. It's quite easy to read the gospel of Luke and conclude that it's all about Jesus, and then to read the book of Acts and conclude that it's all about the church. Well, the truth of the matter is, it is all about Jesus. Acts is not about the church going and building Jesus' kingdom. It's about Jesus building his kingdom through his church. And this idea we see corroborated elsewhere in the New Testament in several places. Let me just give you a couple really briefly. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. It says that Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so, again, we don't just go and do something for God. That wasn't what the earliest Christians had to do. That's not what we are called to do. It, it, but we go because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, and he is with us as we go. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a text we'll pay more attention to next week. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Christians live as Christ's witnesses in the world, but never apart from the presence and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who points to Christ. We don't go alone, but we go with God. It is the continued work of Jesus, the continued work of God in the world. Friends, Acts is the story of Christ's continuing work now through his people. And as we engage with the book of Acts, we need to remember that we, too, are his people. We're part of the same story. What began 2,000 years ago with the early church continues until Jesus returns. And so we can certainly reflect on the scriptures to see what Christ began to do. But we'd also better get excited about what he continues to do, even in and through us. And our final reflection as we begin Acts together is this, that Jesus has provided for his church. Again, uh, one, Acts 1, 1 to 2 says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Friends, let's face it. Jesus has provided for the church in many ways. You could probably sit here and list and list ways that he's provided for the church all morning. He's given us his spirit. He's rescued us from the bondage to sin. He's, he engages his people in very real ways as they live, as they endure, as they thrive. He provides hope. He hears our prayers. The list is virtually endless. But Luke includes another important factor, the ministry of the apostles. 
In fact, Acts has often been referred to from its earliest times as the Acts of the Apostles. From its earliest chapters, when Peter addresses the crowds at Pentecost, or in the latest chapters, when Paul addresses Roman rulers, and all that takes place in between, the apostles play a large and important role. In the Gospel of Luke, we saw the important role of the apostles. They were the ones that the Father revealed to Jesus while he was up on the mountain praying. They were the first to be sent out in his name. They were among the first to see the risen Jesus. And now Luke affirms them again. Jesus gave his instructions, the marching orders, to those who would lead the church in its earliest times, who would forge the first generation of Christians, and a few who would contribute to the writing of the New Testament. He gave his instructions to those he had chosen for just such a task. Not to get ahead of myself in our study of Luke, but let me read this just to give you a snapshot here from Acts 2, verses 42 and 43 talking about the church, the early church, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. For that first generation of Christians, being with the apostles was in many ways like being with Jesus. The apostles imaged Jesus to the believers. They taught what they were taught by Jesus. They performed signs and wonders just as Jesus did and by the power and authority that Jesus gave them. They led the church in his name and under his authority. And as we begin our study of Acts, my hope for us is that we will grow in our appreciation of the apostles and their ministry. You know, it's funny. It's very easy to read through the Gospels and see the apostles and, and, and marvel at their foolishness or their many mistakes or their lack of understanding, their countless failures. You know, I read those that I'm personally encouraged because, you know, I don't have it all together. And so looking at those who are apostles, and look, they messed up too. But I think we do them a disservice if we stop there. By God's grace, by their encounters with the risen Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, these men became amazing Christian leaders. And as we see their ministry and read their words, I hope that they dramatically impact us as we follow them in following the Lord. Friends, I'm excited. I hope you are too. As we begin our series on Acts, I hope you remember these important things. As we continue the Lord's mission, we can have certainty of the things that we've been taught. As we continue the Lord's mission, we don't do it alone, but Jesus continues his ministry through us. And as we continue the Lord's mission, we must recognize that he has provided for his church. And one of the ways that he's done that is through the ministry of the apostles, preserved through the scriptures for our edification. Friends, we live in some crazy times. It's not always easy to be a Christian, especially a Christian on mission. But God has given us all that we need. And we have a record here of how he has done amazing things to our people who are even in harder situations that we'd face today. Let's give it all for Jesus.